Welcome again, everybody, to this episode of the FearCast. This is episode 11. Now, before I get into this episode, I want to start with a question from Reddit user StuckInMyHead13. They asked, can you do a podcast on sexual orientation, OCD? Can you cover some of the more taboo themes, specifically sexually intrusive thoughts? Also, possibly future treatments of OCD. Great work. I got diagnosed 10 years ago with purely obsessive, so pure O. I appreciate you bringing awareness to this illness. Hey, stuck in my head 13. Thanks so much for uh, sending in that question or submitting that suggestion. So instead of answering this question here on this episode, I want to use this as an announcement that uh, that over the next couple of podcasts, probably starting in the new year, I'm going to be doing a series on sexual orientation, OCD, and other taboo subjects. So some of the more sexually related ones. So things like HOCD, POCD, and anything sexually related taboo or the stuff that we're not supposed to talk about, but we think about from time to time. So um, I want to start out this episode by asking anybody out there that if you have any specific questions that you would like me to answer on a future episode, uh, specifically about these topics or these subjects, uh, please send them in. As a reminder, you can submit a question on our website, fearcastpodcast.com. Go over to the submit a question link and uh, you can submit a question there. You can also give me a call. Um, my phone number that you can leave a voice message there, it's 714-594-9281. Again, 714-594-9281. And by the way, for those who have considered sending in a question but haven't uh, for fear that uh, your name is going to be used or that uh, uh, people are going to find you out, um, I am more than happy if you make up a fake name. I've even put a new section on the uh, submitting a question form that has your real name, which doesn't go out to anybody, and the section for the name that you would like used with your question. And it can be whatever you want, so long as you're also submitting uh, your real name. Uh, but again, that won't get released at all. I won't read it anywhere. That goes nowhere. I'm welcoming any question that you could think of that you would like discussed. Uh, perhaps it's something that you've been uncomfortable to ask. Perhaps it's something that you are um, that you're talking about in therapy and you want discussed here. Perhaps it's something that you are struggling with. It could even be a story about um, one of the obsessions that you've had and what you did to recover from it. Uh, all those can be helpful for a future episode. Now. On to this episode. This episode, I'm going to focus on issues relating to finding a therapist or finding treatment. From time to time, I'll troll the ROCD subreddit uh, and then a couple Facebook groups for OCD. And one of the things I'm finding is people have a lot of questions about how to find a therapist that's actually going to be able to help. Um, and I think this is, and I think this topic is so important for folks who are just thinking about challenging themselves, thinking about finally getting a handle on this anxiety thing, um, and they just don't even know where to start. Um, you can go to Google and just type in where to find a therapist, and you're going to find a whole bunch of links. Um, and even if you go to some various pages that talk about, you know, they have a whole list of different therapists there, they've got their name and a picture maybe, and they've got a little bit of a description about themselves, and they've got this huge list of things that they specialize in or things that they do, and it's it's OCD and anxiety and phobias and things like that is just one of a hundred things that they specialize in. 
it can be confusing. Trying to find a therapist through your insurance can be confusing. You get a list of 150 people's names, and who do you know who to go through? Um, now, this is all, I, I recognize all of this is very American-centric, uh, so this might not apply to your country. But I'm going to do my best to try to help out uh, those of you who are outside of America um, uh, with some things to think about when you're seeking therapy. Now, this topic, again, is not going to be exhaustive, as per usual. None of, none of the podcasts that I'm ever going to be able to do is going to be exhaustive to every issue, every concern. Um, if you have specific questions, you can always submit those questions to me, and I'm happy to do a follow-up if you think that I missed something or that I got something completely wrong. Uh, submit that as well, because uh, I would love to correct that in a future episode if I messed something up, or if there's something that you found remarkably helpful for finding a therapist, others want to know. And if you submit it to me, I'll read it on a future episode. So one of the first things that I'm going to recommend for anybody who's looking to start therapy, and this this sounds like such a simple suggestion, but uh, it, it, it for someone just getting started and not knowing anything about psychotherapy, um, this can feel a little odd. The first thing I'm going to recommend for anybody who's even looking to find a therapist, what I'm going to recommend is give them a call. Ask them a series of questions. Try to learn a little bit more about them, about their experience. I'm going to go through some specific things that, that, that would be helpful for you to ask them. Now, before we get into the subject, I, I, I want to certainly validate any anxieties that anybody has about finding a therapist or finding someone who's going to help them with uh, their anxiety. Um, it can be incredibly intimidating. It can be incredibly uncomfortable. Um, not only getting on the phone, calling somebody, and sharing a little bit about that thing that that perhaps you haven't told anybody out there, um, but it can feel very vulnerable. It's, it is very vulnerable to to call someone up. You don't know who they are. You've never met them. You don't know anything about them, and to just put trust in this person. Um, they might have some degree, they might have some letters behind their name, they've got some degrees up on the wall, but you know, you don't know who they are. It can feel uncomfortable. Now, some people thrive on that, knowing that there's this anonymity or, or knowing that the confidentiality out there can be a little freeing. But for some of us, I would say even myself included, when I was finding a therapist, um, it, it, it felt a little weird. I'm going to talk to this random person across the desk about about the stuff that I don't want to talk about to anybody, um, and it can feel uncomfortable. So um, I want to try to empower you with some questions that you can ask um, and some things that you can certainly do to help alleviate some anxieties within the process of trying to treat your anxiety. So if you're in the American system and you're trying to find somebody, you're probably going to find their name through your insurance company or through Therapist Finder or through the online things. Um, and you're going to get a list of names and you're going to wonder who to go to. Um, now, if you're like a lot of people, you might find that name and you're going to Google that name and see if there's any extra information out there about who this random person is. What you might find is... Um, some Yelp reviews about this person. Off the bat, I'm going to say, take those with a grain of salt. Sometimes you're going to find some things about this person. They're going to say, they're the best. Sometimes you're going to find something that says, they're the worst. 
what sometimes happens about therapy is people don't tend to recommend their therapist to their friends. And oftentimes people don't want to share publicly and out loud that they're seeing a therapist for X, Y, and Z. However, if somebody has a bad experience with a therapist, sometimes that will motivate them enough to go online and say something nasty or bad, or I'll be honest, perhaps truthful about this person. So I'm going to say not to trust them blindly, but not to also throw them out completely, but to take them with a grain of salt as you're going into this process. And if you're either been assigned to this person or are trying to consider whether or not this is a person you'd like to go see. A common thing that some people will notice if they're looking for a therapist on things like uh, Therapist Finder, um, they, they'll have a person's name and their uh, little bit of information about them, and then it will list a whole bunch of specialties that they say they, they specialize in. Um, and man, it's likely to be everything. What you usually find is everybody specializes in everything. Now, I'm not saying that all these people are bad therapists, um, because a lot of them may be great therapists. However, a lot of people are out there and they will claim that they are OCD or anxiety specialists or that they know how to treat OCD and anxiety and phobias um, because they've taken a CBT class in graduate school, or they, they did a project on it in graduate school, or they've had some training in cognitive behavioral therapy, so they did a decent understanding of the approach, but they might not actually be specialists in it. So rule of thumb is on the, on the page, if it says that they specialize in everything, and they just list a whole bunch of stuff, um, as a rule of thumb, they specialize in nothing. They might be really good in some things, but likely speaking, we, we, we all don't do every, we all don't treat everything perfectly. And there are some things that we're much better at than others. So, as you're finding somebody, you want to find someone who limits what they say they specialize in, and they can list a bunch of other things, but you want to see that OCD, anxiety, um, phobias, specific phobia, social phobia, things like that are at the top of the list, that those things are cited as, as specific things that they do. All right, let's say you've narrowed it down to somebody. Remember that you can call them, and in fact, you should call them. And you should try to get to know them a little bit and, and find out if you even feel comfortable chatting with this person. Again, they could be the best therapist on earth, but if they're super weird and awkward and you just have a personality conflict with them, uh, you're not going to feel comfortable sharing things with them and you're not going to feel comfortable going with, with them through the therapeutic process. So the therapeutic relationship is so important. It's pivotal to change. Now, when you call this person, remember that they should be completely open and completely happy to answer any questions you might have about themselves, their education, or their training. Now, if you do start asking these questions about them, um, and they start getting aggressive, or they start avoiding answering questions, or they're, or they're rude, this is not a therapist for you. A therapist should be more than happy if they're a competent and confident therapist. They should be more than happy to tell you what school they went to, what their education background was. Um, they should be able to tell you what their their specific training was in OCD and anxiety treatment. Uh, did they have any internships did they, that uh, were specific to anxiety and OCD? Now, when you're having this conversation with them, this doesn't mean having a, you know, a two hours long conversation with them about each and every point to try to get to try to grill them about everything. 
have a reasonably lengthened conversation with them about these subjects. Now remember, the average therapist between sessions is going to have about 10 minutes, so that might be what you're going to get from time to time. However, um, some places also will offer, or some therapists will offer a 15 to 20 minute consultation to discuss these various issues. And I'd take them up on that. So let's say you call them up. You got them on the phone. What do you ask them? I'd say one of the first things to ask them is, number one, what's their experience with OCD? Be specific. If you feel that you have OCD or you worry that you have OCD or you have a specific phobia, ask them directly, do you have any experience with this? They should be able to say, yes, I've worked with this or yes, I do work with it. So this podcast is going to make some assumptions that you are able to meet with a therapist of some type. Now, we might in a future episode talk about what are some other resources that are uh, significantly cheaper than therapy or uh, um, low-cost ways of treatment, low-cost means of treatment. But for today, we're going to be talking about therapy. So another thing to consider, by the way, so if you're in a rural area, your therapist may not have a lot of experience working with OCD and anxiety. In fact, you might be the first person they've ever met with OCD. They've read about it, they've studied about it, but you might be that that first person. If this is the best person that you can have access to, one question you can ask them, if they have no experience working with OCD, would they be willing to consult with a specialist? Now, I put that caveat in there, or put that small point in there, because that might be the best you that you can get. However, teletherapy is an option. If they can consult with a therapist who's a specialist, you can probably consult with a therapist who's a specialist within your state um, where somebody's licensed. All right, so another question that you can ask. What percentage of their practice is working with OCD and anxiety folks? Now, again, this is going to differ if someone has a rural practice or someone's in a big metropolitan city. Um or maybe even a private practice versus a community clinic. It's all going to depend. Um, so the IOCDF's website, they have actually have a whole article on this that you can read. Um, but they would recommend that a, a really good answer is going to be anything above 25%. So if you ask them what percentage of their practice is working with OCD, anything above 25% is going to be great. This question is really there to help you gauge how often they're using these tools and how often they're wrapping their head around and, and kind of putting their, their, their mindset into the world of OCD so that you can feel confident going into treatment that, that they're going to be able to help out or they're going to know about the process. Another question to ask, what treatment approaches do they use? So what modalities do they use? You might ask that question. They should say, cognitive behavioral therapy and exposure and response prevention. Now, if in your community, if you're unable to find an OCD or anxiety specialist, the person that you're speaking with, they should at least feel comfortable and experienced using and, and working with cognitive behavioral therapy tools. I have heard of some folks working with someone who's a, who's a non-specialist, uh, but, but both the client and the therapist um, were, were understanding of this. They, uh, the therapist had some experience working with CBT, um, and they essentially went through a workbook together, an OCD workbook, um, and, uh, and they actually found that to be pretty helpful. Now, if on the other end, the therapist, they say they don't specialize in OCD, 
you want to avoid someone who's going to say that they specialize in psychodynamic treatment. Um, that's going to be a therapy that's probably not going to be very helpful for you. Psychodynamic therapists are those folks who talk a lot about your early childhood experiences, talking about your relationships with your primary caregivers, your mom, your dad, your siblings. And they're probably going to get caught up in some issues that perhaps are, are, are likely are unrelated to and are going to be unhelpful for your treatment. Another one that I'm going to encourage you to uh, avoid and um, take this for what you will, uh, anyone who says that anything like they, uh, their treatment methods are Reiki, or if, they, if anybody mentions anything about balancing a chakra or balancing your chakras, you're going to want to hang up the phone and you're going to want to not work with that person. Now, no judgment to anybody out there who's into this stuff, but not for a therapist. It's just going to be unhelpful and you're going to be wasting your time. I'm going to talk a little bit about religious counselors later. Um, they have some pros and cons, um, a lot of cons in there, but I'll, I'll, I'll save a little special spot for that in a bit. All right. Another question to ask them, do you require your clients to be on prescription medication? Now, prescription medication, in my perspective, is a helpful tool along the way, but not necessarily required. A good therapist shouldn't say that they require everyone to be on medication, and they shouldn't say that they're always against it. Prescription medication is not a one-size-fits-all. You can also ask them if they can give you an overall view of what treatment will look like. Now, they should be able to be able to put the pieces together and kind of show you that they know a general direction of treatment and where, and where they're going to be going and why they're using CBT and exposure and response prevention. They should seem comfortable with it. They should seem like they, they have thought about this before and they know how this road goes. Along with this question, you can even ask them about what the assessment process is going to look like. Now, I just recently heard a story about someone who is working with a therapist who even said they specialize in, in OCD or they are very comfortable with it. And it took them four sessions to complete um, a, a Y-Box, which is one of the assessment tests for OCD. It stands for the Yale Brown Obsessive Compulsive Scale. Working through this, or even a modified version of it, uh, with an adult who doesn't have ADHD or a, a learning disorder or anything else that would make them highly distractible, should not take four sessions. The assessment time with your therapist should be done in the first session. Now, sometimes this is going to bleed over into the second session, and, um, and, and, and sometimes they might continually assess. They will likely continually assess throughout treatment, but um, the Y-Box should not take four sessions. Another point to be very aware of is the therapist that you're speaking with should be very explicit about their fees and their office policies. Now, this is going to include their specific fees. It's going to include copay. It's going to include insurance. It's going to include reimbursement options and sliding fee options. And they should also be very clear about exactly what will be expected of you and when it's expected of you. So nothing is a surprise financially on the first visit. So if they're a little cagey and kind of beating around the bush, um, I would be a little bit leery about that. Um, if, they, if they seem even remotely sketchy on this matter, I would be a little bit hesitant to start working with them. I think within this subject, we can also consider if anybody's pushy in one way or another, if they're trying to encourage you to do one type of fee structure or one type of payment method over another, even though you feel very uncomfortable with that and you'd really prefer to do it another way, that just might not be a therapist for you. 
Now, even if this is as simple as the therapist that you're going to see whose private pay only accepts credit card, but you want them to um, take cash or a check or something like that, and they are and their company or their their center is just rigidly they only accept credit card, it just might not be a therapy office for you, and that's all right. There are others out there. But again, when you meet with somebody, you should feel comfortable with with what they're talking about and how they're going about doing it. And don't be afraid to ask about it. All right, my last point, trying to keep all this very quick. Uh, Avoid anybody who says that they can fix you. Avoid anybody who says that they can cure you of your OCD. And avoid anybody who says that they are the only person who can fix you. Likely speaking, this person doesn't know really about OCD, who doesn't know how to treat it. Um, the idea of curing your OCD is, um, it requires a little bit of hubris to say that you can cure it. Um, now, there are very good therapists out there, but the best therapists that I know would never in their right mind say that they can cure someone of their OCD. Someone who thinks that they can cure you also is likely to be very pushy about their treatment and, and can sometimes be manipulative about treatment. Um, so again, if you start to feel uncomfortable with them, have a conversation about this and um, and see how they respond. If they become wildly uncomfortable, if they become aggressive, if they start pushing back uh, on you for various issues then the best thing that you can do is to disconnect from them and to find somebody else. It's better to start with someone new again than to stay in a therapeutic relationship that is abusive or is manipulative or ultimately isn't helping you. So I said that I would get to religious counselors, so here we are. I'll try to keep this quick. Some folks out there, they would prefer to go and work with a religious counselor, prefer to work with someone who um, identifies them as a Christian counselor. Um, I I hear about this a lot. Uh, So I just wanted to add a couple of caveats. Um, Number one, I just want to say, please be cautious. Ask questions, uh, as always. Folks who say they're religious counselors, oftentimes if they're connected with the church, they're going to be lay people within the church and have some type of um, uh, peer counseling uh, training. Uh, it's not the same as the training that someone's going to get going through a, a graduate program, um, uh, earning a master's or a doctorate in psychology and, and, um, and uh, clinical or counseling psychology. Likely speaking, they're not going to have a whole lot of education and knowledge about what CBT is, exposure and response prevention is, or the ins and outs of OCD. So this next point has actually gotten me um, uh, criticized online uh, and suggested that I'm anti-prayer. One thing to be aware of if you're going to see a religious counselor is uh, prayer is not the end all of treatment. Um, Now, before you also agree that I'm against prayer, if that's something that uh, you are interested in, um, I'm not. I'm for it. Um, However, I would encourage prayer, uh, non-compulsive prayer, and cognitive behavioral therapy treatment. Likely speaking, if you're a religious person, you're going to be doing prayer anyways, and so is your community, so are the people who know about you. Um, So they're going to handle that. You do the CBT, you do treatment. All right, that's enough of that. Religious counselors or lay counselors oftentimes... um, they aren't great with working with phobias and fears, not because they, they don't have empathy or they, they don't support you, um, but oftentimes they fall into the trap of offering more reassurances to your fears rather than using appropriate reflection, 
on the uncertainty and leading to exposures. Now, the last point I'm going to say is going to be in regards to specific scrupulosity issues. And I'm likely to do an episode in the future at some point on just scrupulosity and my, and my take on treatment for it. But please know that um, scroop treatment is not corrective theology. Sometimes when you're working with a Christian counselor, there's the temptation to spend a lot of time trying to correct someone's, quote, bad theology or their bad beliefs about um, God or doctrine or how things work. Um, and ultimately, that's, that's not going to be as helpful. I'll acknowledge, of course, there's going to be some discussion of your religious understanding um, and reviewing some challenging issues and, and, and challenging those texts and beliefs, but a good counselor is not going to tell you what to believe or how to believe, but they're going to help you to challenge it to see if it's going to be helpful or unhelpful for your anxiety. That's a good counselor's goal. Now there are a lot of other points, obviously, within this that 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 we could look at or could be uh, or could talk about, um, but I'm trying to keep this one really short and brief. So those are just some things to consider when when starting your process to see a therapist. If you have other suggestions or perhaps think I think I missed something, um, please send me an email. Let me know in some sort of way, um, and I'm happy to add it um, um, into a future episode. If you have any further questions about this, you can also ask me that, and I might uh, address that on a future episode. So, uh, without further ado, on to the question. All right, so this question comes from Darren. He asks, How do you deal with constant worry about real-life problems, such as difficult interpersonal situations or challenging responsibilities at work or an elderly parent's serious illness? I can't ignore these kinds of problems because they do need to be addressed, but I feel like I spend way too much energy brainstorming and strategizing and problem-solving so I can put out the latest fire. I understand my anxiety is probably magnifying these problems, and I'm probably spending way too much energy responding to them, but I don't know where my response crosses the line from reasonable to excessive, because other people often praise my responses to these problems by telling me how organized, thorough, and productive I am. But the way that I respond is clearly causing me a lot of distress, and something needs to change. Thanks. Darren, this is a great question. Thank you so much for asking this one. I hear the struggle in what you're saying because you're 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 kind of getting two different messages. One, you're you're feeling a lot of anxiety, and internally you're saying, "I'm I'm doing something wrong. I'm doing something too much. I need to slow down on this. I'm not responding to stresses and struggles in life situations the same way that the average person would." You said the things that you're, you're, you're struggling with are, are things that the average person would probably have to deal with. The average person will eventually have to deal with a lot of the things that you're mentioning. Internally, you're saying, I need to stop or reduce this or address this. But externally, other people are saying, Darren, you're doing a great job for all this. It's amazing how thorough you are. You think through everything. You've got, you've got the plan. And that praise feels really good. So on the one hand, you want to change this, but on the other hand, getting that praise feels really good. But you sent an email to me, so I'm assuming that you do really want to change some of this. Your question has so much insight into the struggles that you're going through um, and just recognizes that that while in, in part you do like this, uh, 
you do like this characteristic of yourself where you think about things and you stress about things. And again, I, I kind of call this, I, I, I ch- tongue-in-cheek call this the OCD superpower, the ability to spend excessive amounts of time thinking about one specific subject to the nth degree. Um, it can be helpful to a certain degree, but in a lot of cases, especially when it starts to um, grow and grow and grow, um, it starts to become problematic. Perhaps you've noticed. So to make the long story short for answering your question on how to do this, it's going to be focused on accepting the uncertainty that you're not going to be able to control the outcome of things, that no matter how much you do, the unexpected may happen and you may not be prepared for it. Something terrible might happen. Something something may happen to people you love. Um, something may happen within your own relationships in one way or another. And it's going to be an option that you didn't think about, you couldn't have anticipated, and that you're not going to be able to respond in the most effective and efficient and thoughtful and thorough way. And though you may not respond in this ideal, fantastic way, accepting and appreciating the reality that you'll likely get through it. You'll likely be able to survive it. Though it might not be ideal, it might be a struggle, it might be painful and uncomfortable, but you've survived painful, uncomfortable things before, and this will be no different. This will just be like all the other things that have been painful and uncomfortable that you've gotten through. So one, you said that that sometimes you're spending, you said you're probably spending too much energy responding to these thoughts. How do you know you're spending too much energy? When do you recognize that you're spending too much energy on these things? When we recognize we're spending too much energy, that's a fork in the road for us. We can go down the same path of continuing to do what we're doing. Or now that we've gotten that awareness, we can make a left turn. And we can go down the other path and do something different. And for you, it might be to say, I've thought about this too much. I've planned this too much. I'm done. And to walk away from it, symbolically, metaphorically, uh, mentally, physically, walk away from that thought for that period of time. Now, everything in you is probably going to say, yeah, but you didn't think about it enough. You should worry about this more so you're prepared. But you're going to remind yourself, I've thought enough. And at least... I've thought enough for now, and I've thought enough for what I'm saying I would like to do. And within that, as you walk away, accept that maybe you are just on the cusp of the right thing to do, but you're going to walk away. You've spent too much time worrying about this. Now, by the way, you could be just on the cusp of it, or you could be 10 more hours away from it if you ever got there. So you're going to need to find a way to accept the reality that you may not be prepared for future life events, but that that's going to be all right. And that, God forbid, something bad does in fact happen. Um, the people around you may not give you that praise that felt so good. They might say, oh, Darren, I thought that uh, I thought that you would have thought this one through, or, or you didn't think about that, that option, or um, you left this big gaping hole in the project, and, and we thought that that would have been you to fix it, or to think about it, or plan for it. But Again, that situation may never come as well. So again, in short, there's going to be a lot of acceptance that needs to happen about not being prepared, not being thorough. But it's something that you can practice every time you get that feeling that says, I need to keep thinking about this. Or you have that secondary thought that says, eh, I've been doing this too much. Because that line between too much and just enough or not enough 
is uh, is ambiguous. I'm not even going to try to address it. When you start feeling that it is taking, when, you, when that thought comes in that says it's excessive, practice backing away from it. Embrace that uncertainty. It's the name of the game. It's why we're here. And it's going to be scary. But you can do it. Again, thanks so much for the question. All right, and that's our show. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the podcast. Please remember that I'm going to be doing a series on taboo or sexually related OCD symptoms and uh, and and, uh, and some of the various subtypes. So if you have questions, send them in, either through voice message or through uh, the website. Uh, remember that you can go to fearcastpodcast.com, go over to the submit a question link uh, and submit a question there. You can also give me a call at 714-594-9281. Please follow me over at Instagram. Uh, you can find me at Fearcast Podcast there. Uh, also visit the website, fearcastpodcast.com. Um, again, please remember, the Fearcast is not a substitute for psychotherapy. If you have any questions about finding a therapist or needed some extra help in your recovery, uh, go to the website and go to the Find Help page, uh, and you'll be able to get some good information there. So, as always, until next time, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.